Hey, this is Repeat Customer, a business podcast from Zendesk. And I want to tell you a bedtime story. No, 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 no. Not that kind of bedtime story. This one starts in a hotel room in Las Vegas. When we checked into the hotel, uh, it was it was really strange. We put our stuff down and like, you know, after a long flight, we lied down on the bed. We're like, oh my God, these sheets are really great. Rich and Vicky are a young couple, like mid-20s from Brooklyn, on a quick getaway to Vegas. And they lie down on the most comfortable bed sheets ever. What was so nice about them? You know what? At the time, I couldn't tell you anything other than they just felt great. Like they were smooth and soft and felt like, you know, broken in and lived in. Like they were, they were just really, really nice and had the perfect weight and texture. Like they weren't too swarming and warm. They were lightweight and crisp. So now Rich has to have these sheets. And it was interesting, the hotel we were staying at actually had a store in the lobby that sold all the furniture and fixtures that were in the room. So you could bring home the lamps if you liked them, um, the mattress or the sheets in our case. Um, So we went downstairs, we tried to buy them because we loved them so much and we found the price tag was a little outrageous. Totally outrageous. $800 for a sheet set. Wow, that's a lot of money for bed sheets. I mean, they were really nice, but we were in no position to spend that kind of money, and we never had before. So normally, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but Rich just can't let this go. I came home from the vacation, and I was kind of obsessed. I went down this rabbit hole, and, you know, I was searching in forums and Reddit, how can I back-channel my way to get, like, a cheaper set, you know, through the distributor or something, and although I didn't find the distributor, what I actually found was a lot of people looking for the exact same thing, which kind of made me feel not so crazy in that moment. It was like, okay, I'm not crazy and I got to figure out another way to find these sheets. Rich searched and searched, but sadly never found those Vegas sheets. But he did find other people looking for the same thing. So still totally obsessed. What he did next kind of blows my mind. My name is Rich Phillip, um, CEO and co-founder of Brooklyn Inn. Um, We're a direct-to-consumer company founded on the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury markup. That's right. Rich wanted those bed sheets so badly, he started his own company to make them. It's called Brooklyn Inn. Welcome to Repeat Customer, an original podcast from Zendesk about how companies create great customer experiences. My name is Mio Edelman, and Zendesk is a customer service and engagement platform. Today, we enter the surprisingly fascinating world of bedsheets. Brooklyn Inn, along with a few other bedsheet companies, as well as a couple of mattress companies, caught the traditional bedding industry totally asleep on the job by creating an actual customer experience where there really hadn't been one before. Okay. Brooklinen. It's a mashup of the words Brooklyn and Linen. And the company was founded in Brooklyn in 2014 by Rich and Vicky Fulop. Hipster sheets, totally bootstrapped by the two of them, as you're going to hear, with a dependence on customer experience, partly because of the bootstrapping, but for other interesting reasons too. And it's paying off. Within two years, they were at $25 million in revenue. And that number keeps growing. 
Brooklinen has really tapped into something here, something we might not have already known about ourselves, when it comes to bedding at least. To better understand it, let's look at what buying bedsheets was like before Brooklinen. Remember, Rich came home from Vegas looking for those amazing hotel bedsheets that cost $800. Surely they'd be cheaper at, say, a department store. So I checked this with someone who knows department stores. The prices were really uh, inflated. It was lack of transparency on pricing and promotions, where the, uh, the goods were actually sourced from. And then it really was they dominated, uh, dominated by the salesperson and they had really controlled the, the experience of the customer, which wasn't always easy. That's Brandon Rayel. He's a retail strategy and operations expert. At the time, I was working for Macy's in the furniture uh, division as a assistant buyer in the mattresses uh, division. Get ready for this. Once you start delving into higher quality organic or 1,000 thread sheets, you're looking upwards of $750 to $1,000 for a king bed for, for a set of sheets. So uh, very intimidating to say the least. That's crazy. Department stores were charging the same markup as a hotel. So what about the big box stores? That's where Rich Fulop went looking for a better price. For the most part, the sheet sets in those stores range in, I don't know, 50 to 100 bucks or so. And most people end up you know, walking out of the store with spending 75, 80 bucks on a product that they're really not that excited about, but it's something that they need. And the experience was just awful. You got these fluorescent lights shining in your face. It's just this like huge array of plastic and colors and zippers and swatches and Really, nobody there knows what they're, ta- what they're talking about. There's not that much information on the packaging. So Rich is in his mid-20s. He's about to enter the MBA program at NYU. So, you know, he's growing up a bit. He's been inspired to introduce a little luxury into his life via some nice bed sheets, And he comes up against a brick wall. And it's just very overwhelming and confusing when, you know, the way a lot of millennial shoppers, myself included, shop is, you know, we like things curated and all the crap cut out. And I thought there was a really huge gap that identified between, you know, those super high-end $800 sheets and really the mass store that really has a terrible buying experience with no transparency, no information or anything. The need for transparency when it comes to something like bed sheets might seem a bit precious. But this is what can happen when you don't know enough about your sheets. Hi, my name is Carmen Griffin. My blog is livedeliciously.ca. This was my first investment, quote unquote, on sheets. And um, I, I spent good money on these bamboo sheets and they, they fell off the bed. Uh, the first night, like they, with my duvet cover, just slowly just shifted off the bed. And then on the other side of that, when they did stay on the bed, I found that like, I just got so hot. I would just be in like a puddle of sweat. Definitely not sexy when you're with your spouse or your partner waking up in a puddle of sweat. It was kind of embarrassing um, because I, I guess he didn't really... Um, he didn't know what was going on, so he woke up in the middle of the night and and he just turned to me and he said, did you just pee the bed? <laughs> now, that's some bad sheet. Sorry, I had to say that. We thought there was an opportunity um, to have a really great customer experience where we're explaining things to people, really kind of guiding them along in the process to make sure they get the product that they're looking for and that they're that they're really going to be excited about. This happens to me all the time. I decide I want something, I go to buy it, either can't find what I'm looking for, 
or the shopping experience is too irritating. So I'm like, you know what would be a great idea for a business? Except in my case, it remains just a great idea. Not for Rich and Vicky. They decide to actually do something about it. But remember, they're in their mid-20s. It's not like either has ever started a company. I was calling factories all over the world. I talked to one here in the U.S., and he was so shocked. Uh, he was like, I haven't gotten a call from anyone under 50 years old trying to enter this space. I was like, great, that means I'm probably on the right track here, <laughs> is what I thought to myself. <laughs> so what we did was we identified you know, who we thought the customer was, and it was this gap, call it 23 to 39, sweet spot is like mid to late 20s, but... Because that's who you were. That's who we were. Rich was like, no one's making bedsheets for this really big demographic that I'm a part of. But does anyone else actually care? I mean, he'd found people searching for the same hotel sheets. And if you go on YouTube, there's tons of videos of people trying to get their sheets to feel like hotel sheets. So this is where Brooklyn, and before it's even Brooklyn at all, starts focusing on the customer experience. So we went to the bid box stores and the department stores, and we kind of just hung out in the bedding section. And we'd say, hey, do you shop online? Yes. Do you buy your you know, clothes, apparel online? Yes. Do you, you know, shop for furniture, home goods online? No. Do you shop for bedding online? No, never. Do you know what brand of bedding you have? No. Do you like your bedding? I guess it's okay, but it could be better. And we were kind of like getting to this point where, you know, we talked to some 500 people in this manner, not only in the store, but also in, we went to coffee shops as well around town where people would kind of hang out and do work. What we ended up finding out was nobody had any brand loyalty or brand knowledge here. With some categories, they were just so boring that you never really felt that sense of loyalty because there was nothing to be loyal to, right? Hi, I'm Liz Segrin. I'm a staff writer at Fast Company Magazine, where I write about retail and fashion. The reason they didn't develop these brand identities is because they thought that sheets were these irregular purchases. Like, what is the point of creating a brand identity around a pair of sheets when it's not something that you're going to sell somebody, you know, multiple times a year. When somebody's sheets get really old, they'll go out and buy another pair. Um, and that's it. We're going to hear a lot more from Liz. She has some really interesting insights into Brooklinen's success. But first, Rich took that market research a step further. And this was all happening while he was still in school for that MBA. And when we asked them, we said, like, look, how much would you be willing to pay if it was, you know, A, B, and C? It was a great product. Um, there was social proof. There was good photography. Like, all the things that could help you be guided in the process. How much would you be willing to pay? And at the time, we came out, we're like, okay, we're going to offer those $800 sheets for $200. And that's really not what we found out. What we found out was most people were spending $75. So we had to come out of the gates and be closer to $100. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, how can someone sell $800 sheets for between $100 and $200? The blueprint was direct-to-consumer, cut out the middleman, and sell direct to the customer. Direct-to-consumer, that's how. At the time, there weren't a lot of direct-to-consumer brands, um, very few. So I was a customer of Warby Parker. I got my glasses there, and it really I'd worn glasses since like the second grade, and it really changed my, my perspective on the space in general. Um, I had recently bought pants from a company called Bonobos um, that I think they only made pants at that time. Both of these brands, you know, were selling products directly to consumer and were charging less than competing brands. A lot of stuff is direct to consumer now, but not as much back then. So it helped that Rich's target demo had grown up online. 
But with the advantages of direct-to-consumer also came some challenges. It sounds easier than it actually is, obviously, because you have to master supply chain and the product and the service and the marketing. You know, there's nobody else to, to assist with that. And that's what those sales channels do. Those department stores or those big box stores, they handle all of the inventorying and the sales force on that stuff and the service. We had to do everything. The decision to try direct-to-consumer meant they would have to do everything. And they means two people. Rich and Vicky bootstrapping Brooklyn in but it played into their focus on customer experience. And that was an opportunity also to really sell to the customer and explain to them why our product is great. We're really proud of our product. We think we have a best-in-class product, so uh, we want to tell everybody about it and explain to them why. Direct-to-consumer is an opportunity to talk directly to the customer and not only explain to them, but also get feedback. We're going to talk more about this positive feedback loop in a few minutes. But at this point in Brooklyn and story, the big thing direct-to-consumer gave us, besides a much better price, was the transparency. They really help you through the process of buying sheets, something Rich felt was really missing from the existing in-store experience. If you go onto Brooklyn's website, as I just did, you too will become an instant bedsheets expert, able to talk about long fibers, weaves, single-ply yarn, and thread count. Thread count. Until now, the only thing anyone I know ever mentioned when talking about bedsheets was thread count. But did you know it's an easily manipulated metric? Hmm? So Brooklyn and launches direct-to-consumer with one type of bedsheet. We first started, it was cool, it was crisp, it was thin, it was kind of like that freshly pressed button-down. And for people like that bamboo sheet victim, Carmen, who you heard from earlier, what was this new experience like? I love that feeling when you go into like a fancy hotel of getting into the sheets and just feeling like you're getting hugged by the sheets and they're soft and you know you're it's like butter on your skin <laughs> and it just feels like I'm being transported into luxury hotel it's amazing I love that <laughs> Somehow, Brooklinen had managed to approximate a hotel sheet experience at a fraction of the cost. And they kept it super simple in a way that also oddly gives you great variety. What you see in the big box store is the zipper bag with, uh, you know, one color all around. What we said is, hey, if we offer eight colors, all centered around the same color palette, and all the patterns, you know, like our, our stripes or our window pane, it's all based on the same color palette. So you can mix your pillowcases with your duvet cover, with your sheets. The mix and match approach to buying sheets was a game changer. But Liz Segrin at Fast Company says there was also something to Brooklyn's unique choice of colors. First of all, all of their products are very gender neutral. Um, in the past, a lot of bedding companies had very sort of feminine uh, marketing and very feminine products. Like, you know, bedding was often pastel colored. Um, all of the imagery around it was very soft and these very sort of feminine home backgrounds. Brooklyn and just had a very different aesthetic. You know, I don't think they have a single set of pink sheets. I've never been pitched or marketed to in this product in my entire life, yet it's something that I've interacted with. You know, I like simple, solid color, you know, clean whites or grays, you know, that are very neutral. I'm not a decorator. I want it to go with my stuff and be easy and turnkey on that stuff. And I think, I, I can't speak for all guys, but I think it's, uh, it's something that's very relatable and something that people really gravitated to. Like, this is the solution. It's easy. It's gonna come to my door. It's gonna match everything and it's gonna be extremely comfortable. Brooklyn and started marketing to guys. 
something that hadn't really been done before. My husband's a great example. Um, we got a pair of Brooklyn and sheets that were like gray and um, he really liked the experience with it. And because it didn't seem like the brand was marketing to me um, and it seemed like, you know, it was marketing to, to both genders, he suddenly, you know, developed some interest and loyalty in the brand in a way that maybe he wouldn't have before. For most betting companies, there's an 80 to 20 customer split women to men. For Brooklinen, it's 50-50. So Brooklinen launches with a different product experience and an actual brand identity that people felt something for. They targeted underserved demographics, not just millennials and men, you know, also urban hipsters with those cool muted colors and patterns, and they benefited from some good timing. Casper launched on the same day we did. No. Really? April 22nd, 2014. And <laughs> we had no idea about them. Oh, wow. So, it's, so it is a cult, it's a broader cultural thing that's happening then. Uh, yeah, definitely. There certainly was some, something to it that was deeper that we were striking a chord and identifying a problem there. And my perspective on, on the mattress industry is, you know, as it explodes, um, that's great. I mean, it brings more attention to the space. Um, you know, more mattresses are, you know, need more sheets and more pillows and so on. So, you know, all boats rise with the tide. At the same time, the idea of sleep as a health concern was starting to gain some traction. It's so interesting that sleep itself has been commoditized, right? And it's it's very compelling because, you know, there's as you're saying, there's all this other research talking about how not getting um, enough sleep every night was going to kill you. It's going to increase your chances for all these diseases. It's going to make you fat. There's all of this research that talks about how important sleep is now. So as we started to prioritize sleep, where and on what we slept became more important. But there were other cultural forces at play here, too. Yeah, I think that's that's really fascinating. Um, we saw this whole direct-to-consumer um, um, evolution sort of parallel what was going on with millennials. So, you know, the, the first wave of brands that hit the market that really resonated with millennials were beauty brands like Glossier, things like that. There were like all these fashion startups that entered the mix. And then we got to all of the home brands that started using this direct-to-consumer approach. And I think that was because uh, these were increasingly more expensive price points. Um, and, and also millennials were sort of, they were getting older, they were spending less disposable income on fashion products and more on, you know, their homes. From an experiential standpoint, I, I think it goes beyond just mere identification to a, almost a confirmation, and I'm just trying this out on you, but some, a confirmation of becoming an adult by spending a bit more on these sheets and, 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 and viewing our living spaces as, as a little more important. Is that fair? I'm a millennial. I'm, I'm 35, and I've definitely felt like buying home stuff was kind of a mark of um, you know, sort of turning the corner. We might be getting to the point where um, millennials are now, you know, investing in property, right? And so they've dropped all this money on a new house. Um, and so it just makes sense that they're going to invest in making it the nicest possible home. So yeah, I think that it's definitely a mark of becoming an adult. On social media, this is called adulting. <laughs> you see it everywhere. Posts, photos, videos of millennials holding up a purchase or doing something that they hashtag adulting, proof that they're growing up. And speaking of social media, Instagram especially has had a huge impact on the role of bedsheets and duvets in our lives. I know that sounds funny, but it's true. Instagram has become this really important means of communication and really important 
means of storytelling, especially for the millennial generation. Um, and I think Gen Z as well, more so than Facebook. But what this means is that if you're constantly taking pictures of what you're up to in your life, your backdrop almost you know, matters as much as what you're wearing. And often you're doing, you know, you're taking pictures of yourself in your home. You're taking pictures of, you know, and now we're all nesting. You're taking pictures of your kids. And so suddenly your home is, is being accessed by the world in a totally different way. So like, you know, having uh, new sheets, um, which you may not have replaced that frequently before, but having new sheets is, you know, it's a good way to like, you know, have a different backdrop. So basically what Liz is saying is that because we take so many selfies, often in our homes, our furniture becomes like a fashion accessory. Yeah, it's like, you know, not only are we trying to create these picture-perfect selves and picture-perfect lifestyles, we now have to create these picture-perfect homes. Um, and these brands are helping, are, are aware of this and are helping us do that. They have gotten customers so excited about their brand that customers are actually coming back and like creating linen closets full of different styles of Brooklyn and sheets. Um, they've just changed the way that consumers buy sheets. So linen has now become, you know, the summer sheet, right? Um, and they, um, Brooklyn and in particular developed this amazing twill, which is this very soft material that's really perfect for winter. I, that's really my favorite of all the Brooklyn and sheets. Bed sheets become fashion, and as you know, in fashion, there's different seasons, which has me scrambling because in my house, the only season, if you want to call it that, is laundry season. Anyway, Brooklyn and definitely disrupted the bedroom, and pretty soon it wasn't just millennials sleeping on its now different kinds of sheets and pillows and duvets, blankets. Business took off. But remember, this company was bootstrapped. It was Rich and Vicky managing everything for at least the first year. I did the first 5,000 customer service tickets, and I got to speak one by one to our first 5,000 prospects and customers. And it taught me a lot about what they wanted, what they expected, um, what they were asking for, it, and it taught me like really how to communicate. I was very, very fortunate about the fact that I didn't know how like macros work in this. So I wrote out every single email and I wrote it from the point that like I was writing you an email or a friend or my brother or whoever it is. And I would, I would say, hey Mia, I hope you love the sheets. Um, you know, did the package get to you on time? And like in long form, and people love that because then they'd give me feedback, you know, any questions, let me know. And they'd be like, yeah, actually, you know, the, the box was a little dented. You guys should probably invest in like a thicker cardboard or something. You take these things, right? And like you, you hear that three times, then you upgrade the cardboard, solve that problem, right? Or, you know, I have a king size bed, which is, you know, 76 by 80 inches. And I really hate that I put it on the wrong way and I don't want to rip it. So we put little tags that say short side, long side in it. I, I really identified with that story about the, the long way and the short way because I've, I've had more temper tantrums in, in, in the privacy, like no, when nobody else is around in my house. Then you gotta I go lose, do it all over again and go around. Oh no, I lose my mind. I start talking to my bed in the beddings and I'm like, why do I even put this stuff on? It just, it's, and why hasn't somebody done this? It drives me absolutely crazy. People have their, their comforters shuffling around inside the duvet cover. So we put little Oh, anchors. that drives me nuts. That You have anchors? We have anchors in the corners so it doesn't oh. shuffle around, it stays put. That drives me nuts. Our product is not exactly the same as when we started because we have this hotline directly to the customer and they can tell us it's to this, it's to that, you know, can you make this? And we try to iterate as fast as we can to react and, and make sure they're satisfied. 
This relationship sort of reinforced the role of customer experience for Rich, a job he only handed over after two years of also running the company. Having people wait days for a response, it was just painful to hear, like, to see their second, the third time they would write in, say, no one's gotten back to me. And you work so hard to bring people into the website and to explain to them what you do and to, and to hopefully make the sale, um, that to lose them on a terrible CX experience is, it was just not something I could stomach anymore. So we overinvested in this. You know, first it was just email, then it was email and chat, then it was email, chat, and phone. Now it's email, chat, phone, and text messages. When I was on the site, as I started browsing, a customer service rep popped up in chat to ask if I was finding everything okay. Now, I know Brooklinen isn't the only one doing this, but it felt like a living, breathing retail experience. And in a weird way, retail is on the minds of the major direct-to-consumer brands because we're in the middle of another generational shift when it comes to customer preferences. I think that actually what we're seeing now is that millennials had a very, very particular uh, ability to purchase products online without seeing them. And the generation after them actually wants to test out and see these products. The brick and mortar store seems to be coming back. But unlike brick and mortar before, the stores are sometimes serving a different purpose. When you go to an away, um, you know, suitcase kind of pop up, it's not about, um, you know, it's not about selling you a suitcase. They might even be pushing the suitcase on you. It's about like travel and excitement, you know, and all of that. So that the next time you're thinking about buying luggage, Uh, you'll think about a way. Same with Warby Parker, Casper, and others. The idea seems to be a store where you can try stuff on even if you're still going to buy it online later. It's something that's on our radar, but we're a direct-to-consumer digital native company. I don't think there's a rush. We would very much like to master what we're doing, which I feel like we haven't done yet before moving on to the next thing. Brooklinen has, relative to a lot of other direct-to-consumer brands, grown much slower. And I think it's because of all the stuff that we're talking about, which is that they're really paying attention to, you know, to who their customer is, what they want, tweaking, and basically creating more products that they're going to want. They were asking us to go into towels. They trust us with fabrics and with their bedding. And it's something that um, was a natural foray for us to go from the bedroom to the bathroom. How should towels feel on your hands? How should they feel? They should be, well, it depends. It's a personal experience. We have a super plush towel. So that's personally what my wife and I liked. We didn't like those thin sandpaper towels, right? We wanted something soft, yet absorbent. Good cotton is the key for that. And no chemicals on the outside that would repel that stuff. And now Rich doesn't have to go running around some hotel in Las Vegas trying to buy great towels or bed sheets. It was easier to make them himself. Okay, you've been listening to Repeat Customer by Zendesk, a show about how customer-focused companies create great customer experiences. We post a new episode every two weeks. And if you're looking to elevate your company's customer service game, check out Zendesk.com, because the best customer experiences are built on Zendesk. And you can learn more about this podcast at Zendesk.com slash repeat customer. Thanks for listening.